Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? My voice sounds awesome, doesn't it? Uh, man, it was so hard not to sing during worship. I got to tell you, um, just sitting and listening to you all worship Jesus, I just got overwhelmed. Because here's the thing, guys. At the end of the day, we're not here to gather just to be together. We're here for Jesus. Amen. And there's something that we miss, and actually, we're going to be talking about it today. I don't really get emotional. Ask my wife. I hate emotions when we don't do well. I'm not this way because I'm emotional. I just lost my voice. Um, we're going to be talking about this glimpse of heaven. And one of the pictures that we see in Scripture over and over again from the Old Testament to the New Testament is this idea of all of God's people, every tribe, every tongue coming, declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And today when we were worshiping, I just got that small glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. Because I think sometimes we forget, right? We're so caught up in our world right now and everything going on here that we forget that this is not our ultimate destination. And, and here's the weird part. Sometimes we think that our ultimate destination is some disembodied place floating in the clouds when the picture that we get in Scripture is actually that heaven and earth come together that it is not that we leave this place, but rather heaven comes down and we see this beautiful marriage between what is holy and what was broken and Jesus redeems and he creates the new heaven and the new earth. That's the picture that we see at the end of Revelation. And this morning, we're continuing in our series called Passport where we're, we're studying the book of Galatians and really wanting to see what God has for us and, and exploring and, and well, by the way, my name is Jason, if you're new here. Um, <laughs> I literally, I was like, I just have to get up and share what I felt like God was doing. I felt like God was giving us a glimpse of eternity this morning. And so uh, if you're here, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them. Or if you have the passport booklet, open them. Or if you have your phone, or if you just want to listen, whatever, it's fine. But my hope is, is that this morning, you encounter a Jesus who is crazy about you. You encounter a Jesus who desperately wants you to see a glimpse of what his kingdom come, his will be done, looks like here on earth. Now, not just in the future, now in this place. And so I know Sean just prayed, but can we just pray one more time? Because here's the thing. I got to tell you, we're going to hit some stuff this morning that might make some people uncomfortable, and that's okay. Um, in the midst of everything that we've been through over the last two years between the riots, the George Floyd riots, the 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 uh, marching that took place, social justice stuff, coronavirus, everything that's been going on. Would you all agree it's been kind of a, a crazy two years? And then I don't know if you heard that two nights ago, uh, I think it was Kentucky got hit by a whole bunch of tornadoes and it looks like over 100 people were killed in this. And so I feel like we just need to come before the throne of grace one more time and we're gonna pray specifically that the enemy does not have his way this morning. There's some of you here are distracted because you've got things going on in your life. And I want you to receive a word from the Lord. So would you just pray with me one more time? Father, God, as we come to read at your word, we come to the feet of Jesus, much like your disciples, Mary and Martha. Lord, we want to sit and learn from you. Holy Spirit, we pray 
against any lies that the enemy might be bringing this morning. There are people here this morning who are battling, who have loved ones or friends that are in the hospital. Maybe people here who were, they have a family member that was lost in the tornado or they're waiting to hear. There are so many things that could be going through our minds. We don't want to give the devil a foothold this morning. God, may my voice not get in the way of your gospel. In fact, in my weakness, may your strength be known. Thank you for the name of Jesus. Thank you for salvation that comes through a king who came and left his throne to be with us. Lord, be with us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, ears, our hearts, and mind to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you guys so much. Um, the last two weeks, Derek and Megan, uh, Derek is our executive pastor. Megan is our executive director. Last week, didn't Megan do an amazing job last week? We can give, let's give a thanks for what she did last week. I am so honored and blessed to have for all of our staff, but Megan and Derek make up our executive team. And one of the things that really just blesses me is to watch just how much our staff is growing in their ability to preach and teach God's word. And Megan, thank you for being so faithful to the text and giving us a picture of God's promises. And I kind of want to bring us back there before we go into our text this morning. Um, because here's the thing, the book of every book in the Bible actually is connected to a much deeper story. There's other threads that kind of go through. And sometimes what happens is we read the Bible and we forget that there's context, that there are other storylines, other people involved. And Megan did this beautiful job from Galatians chapter three, bringing us all the way back to Genesis, dealing with Abraham. And I, I want to kind of remind us a little bit about who Abraham was 430 years before Moses. I want you to think about that. America hasn't even been around as long as the difference between Moses and Abraham was. 430 years. God appears to this Babylonian, a guy named Abram, who worshipped false gods. He was not a Jew. He was not one of God's people. He was what's called an Urite, a person of Babylon. God appears to him and makes a covenant with him and says, listen, Abram, if you trust me, if you simply go where I tell you to go, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make your children as numerous as the stars in the sky. How many of you have ever been to the mountains or in the middle of a desert or the middle of a lake in the middle of the night? You know what I'm talking about? Where you can just see the difference between what the stars look like when there's no lights around. How many of you guys have ever seen that? Give me, give me, yeah, we've all, isn't that amazing? Like we look up and we're like, oh, the sky is beautiful. You have no idea what beauty is until you disappeared from the city lights. And there's this beautiful picture in Genesis 17 where God says to Abram, he says, listen, I want you to look up in the stars. There were no city lights. They didn't have electricity. There was none of that stuff. Abram's looking up and he sees the beauty of the galaxy. Now, amazingly to think about is his glimpse of the galaxy still was just a fraction of how big our universe is. And he says, I want you to look up as many as there are stars in the sky. That's how many descendants you're going to have, Abram. But the crazy part was Abram was really old. And when I, like really old, I don't mean like 50, I'm almost 50. He was like almost 90. He's super old. His wife is old. They have no kids and God gives him a promise. And of course, there's reasonable doubt in there. Like, God, how are you going to make this happen? And at first, Abram tries to do it his own way. And his wife says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Why don't you take your servant? Now, I'm, I'm going to be a little um, un-PC here. And some people might be uncomfortable with this. Essentially, when his wife, Sarai, says, why don't you take our servant? This is sex trafficking. That's what's taking place here. 
That's, there was no relationship. There was no connection. It was abusive. But Sarai says, hey, why don't you take my maidservant and have, her, have your way with her. Maybe we'll have a child through her because she's younger. And we see the first child born. And that's Ishmael. But that's not the promise that God made. See, here's the thing. Abram, much like you and I, he first wanted to put things in his own hands instead of trusting God. How many of you struggle with trusting God with your future? Any, am I the only person here? Thank you. <laughs> Some are like, I don't. I'm perfect. I'm like, teach me your ways, please, because I struggle with this. And then here's the messiness of Scripture. See, sometimes we like to veggie-tail Scripture. You know what I mean by that? Like David and Goliath. You know what happens at the end of David and Goliath? Goliath's head gets chopped off. Could you imagine that in a veggie-tail video? It's like finger food, baby. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's not what happens in veggie-tails. And so sometimes we read the Bible and we romanticize it. It was ugly. And here's what we learn from it is that when we don't trust God, when we trust in ourselves, we make really bad decisions often. And God was still faithful to Abram. And God says, no, here's what I'm going to do. Sarah, we're going to make a covenant with you. And, and here's the text I want to bring us to very quickly. We got a lot, a lot of ground to cover today, but it, I think it's important that we cover it. God comes to him and he says this, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your great reward. I know you're childless and really old. Look up to the sky, see all the stars in the sky. And then here's where he comes in. It says, Abram believed God and God credited him as righteousness. And that's part of what Megan talked about last week. Do you guys remember when she took out the stuffed animals? If you weren't here, you can watch it online or listen. But she grabbed some stuffed animals and put them out on the ground because what they would do in the ancient world when they made a covenant, they would make a covenant usually with blood. And they sacrifice all these animals. She didn't sacrifice any stuffed animals. I wanted her to, but we were advised not to do that. No, really, it was a big discussion. I was like, no, do it. Let's put red yarn the whole bit. And they're like, no, Jason, this is why I have a team. And <laughs> it's also why I didn't preach last week. <laughs> and what they would do is they would join hands and usually around the pinky and they would walk in a figure eight through the blood. And Megan painted this beautiful but really bloody picture. It was a bloody affair. There was blood everywhere because they sacrificed massive animals, oxen, sheep. And then little pigeons that they didn't do anything with. And she's like, I don't know why they did it. And really, we don't know why they didn't cut them in half. There wasn't much to cut. And they would walk through. But here's the difference. Normally, both parties would walk through this and form a covenant being saying, maybe done to me what it was done to this animal if I ever break this covenant. But in this case, Abram goes to sleep and God appears to Abram as a, a smoking pot and a fire and he alone passes through the covenant. This is what it means. Abram, you don't have to do anything. I'm going to do it. You just have to believe. That's it. Just believe. God shows up. Now, here's what I want to read to you. Genesis 17, 1 through 7. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him again. Now, here's the other thing. We often think that God appears to Abram over a span of a couple weeks. No, it was sometimes decades before God encounters Abram. And Abram, who eventually would become Abraham, we're going to get here in a second. I am God Almighty, walk before, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Now hold on to that. That's going to be important. No longer will you be called Abraham, your name or Abram, your name will be Abraham. Now check this out. God revealed his full name to a guy named Moses. 
And he says, hey, uh, Moses, my name is Yahweh. And Yahweh is actually made up of four letters, yod He vad He. And when God gives Abram a new name, he actually takes two of the letters of his name and he inserts them into Abram's name, making him Abraham. He does the same to Sarai. She now becomes Sarah. Here's what it means. Now Abram is no longer a Babylonian. He is a child of God. He belongs to Yahweh. How many of you this morning know that you belong to Yahweh if you're in Jesus? Can I get an amen? This is an identity shift. God is shifting the identity of Abram, making him into Abraham because he's no longer about being a Babylonian. Now, this is going to matter. I promise you, this is going to matter this morning. See, everything that Paul was dealing with, he was dealing with this, this fighting that's going on between Jews and Gentiles, two people groups, two different nations. Listen to the rest of what he says. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. How many nations? Many, not just Jews, many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. See, part of the difficulty we have with reading the Bible, when this story is being told by Moses to the people of God, that was roughly 4,000 years ago. I don't know about you, but how much of the world has changed in just the last 40 years, much less 4,000 years? And when the story of Abraham's taking place, it's roughly 45, actually 3,500, 4,000 years ago. Now, here's why this matters. When Paul and Jesus are talking about Abram, when they're talking about the role of what God wants to do in covenant, there is a gap between us. And our job my job as a pastor, your job as someone who wants to follow Jesus is to figure out, okay, what did that mean then? And what does that mean for me now? See, the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. The Bible was written to a very different people group in a different time, but it was written for our benefit. And this is why we're taking the approach that we are now when we preach is instead of just coming with Jason's life lessons or, or any of that stuff, and don't get me wrong, topical preaching has its place but I'd much rather learn that you know how to read the Bible because here's what we're finding statistically. Most non-Christians and Christians alike share one thing in common. They want to understand. And me just quoting a verse at people and saying, well, here's a verse, that doesn't answer questions anymore, does it? I'm not going to ask you to share hands, but here's what statistics are telling us is that most Christians between 40 and under no longer trust the Bible simply because a pastor says you should. And non-Christians certainly don't. So our job on a Sunday morning when we preach and teach is to help you understand the Bible that the Holy Spirit might speak through it and to it to you. Does that make sense? And so that's why we've taken this approach of going through the book of Galatians. It's not because we're trying to do another Bible study. No, it's that there is beauty in this story and I want you to understand it. And if you're a seeker, if you're someone who's exploring faith, I'm not gonna assume every person in here is a Christian, I hope you begin to see the thread that maybe there's something true and beautiful about this book we call the Bible, but more importantly, the living word whose name is Jesus. Check this out. Here's what God is telling Abram. He is going to be the father of many nations, different people groups, different ethnicities, colors, cultures, and kingdoms. He's not just the God of the Jews. He's the God of all nations. That's what he wants to be. 
And by the time we get to Galatians, a problem has arisen. The Jews believe that God is for them alone. That God isn't the God of the nations. And part of that is because they become, they started following Moses instead of believing the promise that God made to Abraham 430 years earlier. So with that in mind, we come to the text. See, God never wanted to just be the God of one people group. He wanted to be the God of all people groups. Jews, Gentiles, black, white, gay, straight. God wants to be the God of all people. Amen? And that's what's going on in Galatians. And so when we read this and we understand this, what we'll find is Paul's battle cry. His battle cry is a vision of a new multi-ethnic, multi-cultured, multi-colored people who belong to God through faith in Jesus because of his promise to Abraham. This is what Paul's mission is. Um, I'm reading a book right now, and I'd highly encourage you to buy it. It's by a guy named Dr. Derwin L. Gray. I got to hear him um, speak at the conference we went to about a month ago in Dallas. And he started a church called Transformation Church. It's a purposely multi-ethnic church. Uh, and I, had a, I talked with him briefly. And his whole vision, he built Transformation Church to essentially become a picture of what God desires the church to be, multi-ethnic. And he's now, he's originally, he played for the Colts back in the 90s. Uh, very talented, only played a few years before his body gave out on him. But I was so impressed with not only what he said, but his book was absolutely phenomenal. And a lot of the things that I've believed for years, but he articulated so much better and smarter than me. Praise God for smart people. Um, we're going to be talking a lot from his book just because it really was a good influence See, Paul understood that the church, the big C church, is God's family. It's the bride of Christ. It is the church is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 17. That the many nations is going to come through faith in Jesus. And this battle going on in Galatians between Jews and Gentiles is completely against what God is trying to do in the world. And I think it's actually something we need to wrestle through. The church is meant to be the living example of God's vision for the world and the world to come. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. And if you don't, if you just want to listen or if you want to turn to our app or online, whatever you want to do is fine. Verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law, now the law he's referring to is the Mosaic law, and it's not just the Ten Commandments, it's all of the Levitical law or the, the books of the law, which is the first five books of the Bible. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now let me simplify this very quickly. Essentially, Jesus says this, or Paul says this, when God gave the law to Moses, it was meant specifically for the Jews. Uh, how many of you have young kids or have ever had young kids? Okay. Uh, when you go out on a date night, we just went on a date night with some friends last night and they got a babysitter. Our kids are a little older. They don't need a babysitter anymore. The reason why you get a babysitter is not to entertain your kids. It's to protect your kids, right? Because here's the deal. If you let kids be kids, um, they do dumb things. Just quite frankly, so do adults, but kids are more prone to it. They just do a different level of dumbness, right? No, no. Indy, you shouldn't play with knives. That's a bad idea. Um, a babysitter is like a nanny. The purpose of the nanny, the guardian, is to make sure that the kids ultimately don't kill themselves. Because what's human nature? When we're left to our own devices, we make really bad decisions. 
And children make the worst. And it's not because they're bad or evil. It's because they don't have the experience. Now, the Bible tells us that all of us have the sin nature in us. But when my child goes to touch a hot stove, that's not a sin issue. That's an experience issue. Does that make sense? But here's the thing. When we leave people to their own devices, including children, they will sin. They, my, children, my children learn to lie at a very young age. Because we all do. Because we have this brokenness that follows with us. So the law was put in place by Moses to act as a nanny until Jesus would come, is what Paul just said here. The whole purpose of the law was to keep the Israelites from themselves, but it could not fix them. It could not change the problem of their sinfulness. They still made bad decisions, so the law acted like a nanny saying, don't do that. And when they did it, it, was, it convicted them and said, no, that was a bad decision. But when Jesus came, we're no longer justified, made right by the law, because here's the thing, the law could never make us right in the first place. The law only revealed our sinfulness. It did not make us less sinful. We look at our own world today. When the speed limit says 55, if you drive 56, what are you technically doing? Breaking the law. And what we need is the law to remind us that if I had my way, I'd drive 90 everywhere I went because that's what human nature does. The law limits the impact of sin. And so Paul is saying, listen, the law acted like a guardian, but now we're in Jesus, and Jesus no longer acts as a guardian. He acts as a savior. He, the Holy Spirit changes our heart. We are now justified by Christ, by faith in Christ. We no longer need the law. We now have the law of love, which is Christ within us. Now, check this out. Here's where we're going to spend a lot of our time. So here's what I want to do. Can we stand? I want to have us read this next part, because this is really what we're going to do. Megan did this last week, and I really loved how she did it. But we're going to read... Uh, verses 26 through 29 together. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to read it out. Do we have it on the screen? Can we get it on the screen? Okay, we're going to read it out. Read it out loud. I want to hear it. My voice is jacked, so you all need to cover it for me. You guys ready? Here we go. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. Here's the next part. If Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. That was I'm, Megan, thank you for introducing that last week. I love that. We're not going to do that every week because it's not a ritual, but it is a beautiful way to be reminded of God's word and the impact of it. So Paul has just gone through this spiritual guardianship of the first couple of verses, and he reminds us that the law does not make us right. It keeps us right with God, which is the problem. We needed something or rather someone who could save us from ourselves and fix our relationship with God, who is Jesus. The true offspring of Abraham are those who have faith. See, when God makes this declaration to Abraham and says, listen, I'm going to make a great nation from you, many peoples, the world is going to be blessed and saved through you. You're going to have many descendants. It doesn't mean that every person is directly related to Abraham. Rather, it means that anybody who has faith like Abraham did in Yahweh will receive that blessing and become part of his family line. This is what Paul is talking about. See, if you want God's promises in your life, if you want God to honor those promises, you have to have faith in him and his promises. That's what makes us children 
of Abraham. We are connected through Jesus when we choose to follow Jesus. Now, I, I want to go through Galatians 3:26 through 29, just a, a few, a little bit line by line here. He says, so in Christ Jesus, there's a word there, you are all children of God through faith. Not just some, you are all children of God through faith. Here's the key, and I, I know this is not very popular. Uh, I know this might get me canceled by some people. It's okay. Not everyone is God's children. All human beings are made in the image of God. Black, white, yellow, brown, gay, straight, transgender, whatever they might be, atheists, Buddhists, Muslims, all of them are made in the image of God and therefore worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. I want you to think about that for a second. We as the church are meant to love and respect all human beings, regardless if we agree with them or not, because they are made in the image of God but that does not make them sons and daughters of the king. What makes us sons and daughters of God is faith in Jesus. The Bible actually tells us that we become adopted into the family. I've, I've met people who are adopted, and, and sometimes people have a negative response to adoption. But the beauty of adoption is, see, my kids, I didn't choose my kids. That, that God had a part to play in that, but also so did I. But I didn't choose them. Adoption. When you adopt a child, you chose that child. Not because of anything they did. You simply chose them. That's why adoption is such a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful picture. And God uses that imagery to tell us that in Christ, when we have faith in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, we are adopted into the family of God. I don't know about you, but that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? God didn't need us. He wants us. God doesn't need you. He wants you. Someone here this morning needs to hear that this morning. God wants you. The problem with need is that when you need something, it doesn't need, I don't love oxygen. I need oxygen. I like chocolate a lot. <laughs> I don't need chocolate, as some of you could tell. <laughs> but wanting something implies that it's not about what you need from it. You simply desire it. God simply desires a relationship with you. He wants you in his family, and that happens through Jesus. It doesn't happen through your good works. It doesn't happen because you were born Lutheran or Baptist or non-denominational or whatever, Catholic. When you put your faith in Jesus, God brings you into the family through Christ. He wants you. Now, why does that matter? Well, if that's the case, when Paul is saying that we are all children of God, he means he's talking to Christians. This book is being written to those in the church. It's not being written for the world. It's being written for a divided church. It's being written for a church that is wrongly thinking that you must first be Jewish in order to be adopted. When Jesus, at the end of the day, he didn't come to make you more, Jesus, more Jewish. He came to make you more Jesus, more like him. Then when we as a church begin to understand that, it radically shapes and changes who we are as a church. Listen to what Ephesians 1.5 says. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He then, Paul goes on to say in Galatians 3.27, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. The reason why we do baptism, and, and I know there are people here who are not in part of Lutheran Church. Uh, I personally struggled with infant baptism for years. It really wasn't until about 13 years ago that I 
understood theologically why we baptize babies. And here's the deal. If you're not okay with that, we're so glad you're here. You don't have to agree with us on infant baptism to belong to this church. There's a reason why we do it, though. In the Old Testament, check this out. It used to be that only eight, uh, only boys could be circumcised. It was the sign of faith. It was the sign of the covenant community. And they were circumcised on the eighth day. Now, remember when I told you that um, blood is kind of the heart of covenant? Most covenants have blood involved. It's going to be a little graphic, but we're mostly adults here. Young kids, if you want to plug your ears, that's fine. <laughs> what happens when you circumcise a child? There's blood. That circumcision for the child, that child didn't choose faith, that child didn't believe yet, that child wasn't old enough to believe, but that circumcision made them part of the old covenant community. Well, in the new covenant, baptism is the sign of that covenant. Baptism is the thing that unites us with Jesus, but here's the difference. Instead of blood being spilt from humans, Jesus spilt the blood. And what Romans tells us is that when we are baptized with Christ, his blood becomes the sign of the covenant for us in baptism. So when we are baptized into Christ, we die on the cross. Our sins die on the cross. The blood is shed with him. Now, much like a baby on the eighth day, a baby male, now men and women, Jew or Gentile, can be baptized into Christ. Jesus' blood becomes the covenant offering, and now you are united with Christ in baptism. Why do we baptize babies? Just like a, a child born on, or a, child, a male child on the eighth day could be circumcised and brought into the community without faith. When you baptize that baby, what are you essentially saying? The blood of Jesus has covered that child. He still or she still has to have faith in Jesus to be saved, but they're now brought into the covenant family. Does that make sense? And if you're like, it still doesn't, Jason, that's okay. It took me 20 some years to get there too. But that's why we do it. We believe that the Holy Spirit acts within the promise of baptism, that's what it tells us at the end of Acts chapter 2, is that the promise is for you and your children. So here Paul says, listen, for you were baptized. That means the covenant, the blood that was shed was Jesus. When you are baptized in the waters, you are then clothed yourself with Christ. Now, that clothing matters. See, the idea of clothing, I, I didn't just wear, ooh, what just happened there? I didn't just wear a jersey to support the Chiefs, though. Go Chiefs. I tried to find a Vikings jersey. Boo to the Vikings. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I wore this because clothing usually has a statement, doesn't it? When I wear this jersey, it not only shows, but there's an identity that takes place. What does it tell everybody? I'm a Chiefs fan. Clothing mattered, matters to us, but not nearly as much as it did in the ancient world. See, when I go to my closet, I have dozens of clothes. Some of you have dozens of shoes. I don't understand that, but it's okay. I get it, right? I have dozens of clothes, but in the ancient world, most people only had a few outfits, maybe one or two, and they had a robe. To clothe yourself, well, clothing was a necessity. And here Paul tells us that when you are baptized with Christ, you are clothed in Christ. And this clothing, this clothing does a couple things. First, it stops us from walking around naked. Praise Jesus. <laughs> right? What happened in Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sin, they realize that they're naked and ashamed. I'm purposely saying naked. I know it's pronounced naked, but it's funnier when I say naked. <laughs> they realize that they were naked and ashamed, and they hid. They hid. And they tried to make clothing themselves out of leaves. They hid from God. In Jesus, 
We are no longer have to worry about our shame because in Jesus, our shame is covered by his death. When we clothe ourselves with Christ, all of your sin, all the things that maybe you've carried around, the mistakes that you've made in Jesus, they are dealt with. You are clothed. You no longer have to worry about shame in Christ. Second, clothing is a way of identifying ourselves then and now, just like I'm a, I'm a Chiefs fan. I also like the Vikings. I was a Chargers fan, and then they moved to LA, and I just couldn't do it anymore. I'm from San Diego originally, that's why. But when you when you're wear clothing, you identify yourself. Rich people would wear purple. They would wear really expensive clothes to identify themselves as rich. Poor people often had just very limited clothes. That clothing represented an identity. But when we also clothe ourselves, not only do we that, but clothing also here means we want to act like the person. Here, when you clothe yourself with Christ, it means you want to act and be like Jesus. But the last one, and this is the one that I really want you to hear because I think this is the most important. Clothing is the one thing that every single one of us depends on daily. We have an intimate relationship with clothing. Think about it. When you pack, what's the one thing you never forget to pack? Clothing. Now, there might be parts of clothing you forget, but I guarantee you every person's like, better have some underwear, right? Everybody's got something. Even the clothing on your back, your clothing went with you everywhere. The idea is that when you clothe yourself with Christ, you have an intimate relationship with Christ. You go everywhere with Jesus. Jesus goes everywhere with you. Sadly, too many of us in the church do not clothe ourselves with Jesus on a daily basis. I don't. I can't tell you how many days that I forget to clothe myself with Christ and I go out into the world and I do it my way. I clothe myself with my identity, my identity, not the Jesus identity, my identity. But when we make that intentional decision to clothe ourselves with Jesus every day, we realize that Jesus becomes an extension. Now, here's really where I want to get into this morning and I wish we had more time and I'm probably going to have to pick it up next week and I'm okay with that. See, this last part is really when it gets big. God wants us to have a different vision for the world, a different vision for the church. God's vision for the church, for his kingdom and for eternity is what we read in this last part. Check this out. In Christ, those who are clothed with Christ, baptized with, with Christ, children of Abraham, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and according to his promise. Paul understood that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't create barriers, it destroys barriers. Too many churches are about putting up walls and what the gospel is meant to do is tear down walls. And he starts off with this first part that really is about a multi-ethnic church neither Jew or Gentile for us. We would quote that. We would associate that with Jew or Gentile or black or white. And this is, when we divide the church, it is not a representation of what Jesus desires for the church. Can I get an amen? Now, I was listening to a podcast called um, Theology in the Raw uh, with Preston Sprinkle. Really great podcast if you like it. Highly encourage you to listen to it. He was interviewing a scholar, a New Testament scholar named Tim Gombus. And he shared a story that when he read it, it actually made me angry. And I, want, I hope this, as you hear this, it upsets you as much as it did me. He said this, in the first couple of decades of the 1900s, the evangelical church was building networks and organizations of power and control. The evangelical church were part of that movement. Early 1900s, the reason why they did it was to get influence. They wanted power, political power. 
They thought the goal was to change the political landscape. Kind of sounds familiar now, doesn't it? When the church gets obsessed with political power, we miss the purpose of the gospel. Some black denominational leaders asked to be a part of this growing movement and were told immediately, no, they should just do their own thing. Yet, over the coming decades, as the evangelical movement continued to grow in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, there was an ongoing debate about whether or not there should be allowed the KKK into the evangelical movement. Now, ultimately, the evangelical church said no, but I want you to think about this for a second. The black denominational church, which in itself is a problem, isn't it? Why do we have a black church and a white church and an Asian church and a Hispanic church? When these white evangelical leaders came together, their first response when the black community said, we want to be a part of this was no, do your own thing. Yet they had year-long debates, years-long debates about whether or not it was okay to have the KKK in. That's appalling. Now, you may not believe in, in systematic institutional racism, but here's what we find in, throughout church history is that sometimes the church doesn't embody Jesus very well, does it? And in the midst of what's happened in the last year and a half, two years, as I've sat with my black brothers and sisters, my Cambodian brothers and sisters, one of my best friends is Cambodian, and I hear their stories, it's so easy for me as a white male to sit there and share my opinion about something when I've never experienced what they have. And here, Paul says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, this multi-ethnic thing in Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I made a statement. I said this, um, I believe in a multi-ethnic church, not to be politically correct or to be PC, but rather because it is a vision of the picture of the gospel of Jesus. The church is supposed to look like the kingdom of heaven, not man's kingdom. And the reason why I want to be a church that every person who walks through our doors feels like they can belong is not because I'm trying to win PC points. I'm doing it because it's the gospel. That's what we need to embody. We are intentionally, I get it, we're in Midwest Iowa. We're in North Iowa. Like, come on, the snow is not the only white thing here. I get it. But do we have people of color who live in our communities? Yes. Do we have people of color who are in a community? How many of you, and and this is hard, how many of you have ever been in a place where you're the only one who looks like you? It can feel ostracizing. It can feel hard. And it can be uncomfortable. The church is the most segregated hour in the United States. Every Sunday morning for about two hours, It is the most segregated time in all the United States is at the church. That is heartbreaking to the Lord. And here's my commitment to you. And this is something, and it's not because I want this. It's because the gospel demands it. We need to be a church that desires to see a multi-ethnic people coming together for the sake of Jesus, loving and worshiping Jesus together to show the world what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. Amen? Things are going to change. We have to be intentional about this. And this is what Paul is getting into. The intentionality of the gospel means you're going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be uncomfortable. It is hard to be a multi-ethnic church. But then Paul doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't just make it a black or white thing. He doesn't just go into there. He then goes into another one. Let's just be honest. It's equally uncomfortable. 
He said there's neither slave nor free. What he means here are social institutions. It was estimated 30% of the Roman Empire were in slavery. Now, when I was younger, I was taught, well, Jason, slavery was different back then. It was like having a job now. No, it wasn't because you can't leave slavery. You want to quit your job? You can quit your job. When you're a slave, you're a slave. But in Christ, there is no slave nor free. In Jesus, you are united. Now, here's the thing. He's not talking about changing slavery in the world. Slavery was a well-known institution. The church should look different than the world. I am tired. I'm so tired of the church trying to catch up to where the world is. We should be modeling for the world what the world's supposed to look like, not the other way around. God is doing something new in Zion, amen? God is moving hearts. We are seeing new people coming and I want them to be on board with, we're gonna tear down social economic statuses. Clear Lake is a pretty wealthy, affluent place, but do we have people who have less money here? Yeah, we may not have slave or free, but do we have people who are in debt? Do we have people who are not experiencing the freedom that comes in Christ? What if we actually started treating every person through the doors that walked in that they could be rich in Christ? Could this be different? We just did Christmas by the lake. We estimated that we had over 3,000 people come through our doors. I want you to think about that for a second. Yeah, that's, you can clap for that. That's awesome. Sorry, no, of course, it's like I got seven minutes and I'm all on fire. Like we're going to have to pick up next week. <laughs> Long setups are the worst. <laughs> Paul is painting a picture of something bigger that every person, when we start acting like the church, we become the hands and feet of Jesus. But here's the thing. Who do you think needs Jesus more, the rich or the poor? The rich. Jesus wasn't, he didn't say it's harder, harder for a poor person to walk to come into the kingdom of God. No, he said it's harder for a rich person. Why? Because when you have wealth, you don't need God. But that doesn't mean Jesus loves poverty. No, what he wants is dependency on Jesus. If you have money, how are you stewarding your money for the kingdom of God that we might show the world what the kingdom of God looks like? But then Jesus goes on a little bit further. So he gets rid of, or Paul goes on, he gets rid of social class. And then he says this, nor is there male and female. This is, again, let's think about this. For example, I'm going to invite the band up because otherwise I'm going to keep on preaching. So here's, I'm just going to invite them up now. They can play behind me and that's going to kind of force me to end. We're going to pick up next week. Bring friends. It's going to be, God's doing some great things. It's going to be good. Okay. So check this out. No, neither male nor female. Here's what it means. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're this unisex community that isn't, doesn't have men or women. In the ancient world, women had no status, no rights. They were the equivalent of property. Women's testimony was invalid in a court of law. I had a friend of mine named Josh. We used to work out together. He was a, not a Christian. And he would say this, he goes, Jason, I can't believe in a Bible that promotes racism, sexism, and slavery. I'm like, really? What do you mean? He goes, well, Paul promotes it all over the place. And I'm like, interesting. And I read that verse to him. He's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I said, have you ever actually read the Bible? Well, no. Well, maybe, maybe before you have an opinion about something, maybe you explore it a little bit. Here's what we found. The Bible was incredibly countercultural. Paul was speaking into power, a new power dynamic. Paul was revealing a world in which the world looked different than everything else because of the church. That every person, a person is not defined by their sexuality. They're defined by Christ. When we get to heaven, and this is really what it comes down to. I'm actually getting closer done than I realized. Okay, because I skipped a whole bunch. It's all good. I'm sorry, slide person. They're doing the best they can. Can we just give a thank you to the slide people? 
Cause they're like, where are you going, Jason? And I'm like, just hang on for the ride, baby. Come on. The church is more like an organism than an organization. It must grow. It must change. We need to stop targeting people group. Here's the Clear Lake, Iowa. Here's our people group. White, middle, upper class, mid-30s to 40s, married with 2.5 kids, college educated. You kind of get the idea. We need to stop targeting a people group and start targeting people. We need to start loving and meeting people where they are, inviting everyone to come in so they might encounter the radical love of God whether they're black or white, rich or poor, gay, straight, lesbian, whatever they might be, atheist, we want everyone to encounter a God that they can know and love who loves them, amen? And that only happens when we start being the church. God is calling us to something new and different and it needs to, it needs to go beyond a sermon. It needs to go into our daily lives. That whether or not you're at Hy-Vee or at the OP or anything else that rhymes with those things, whatever you're going to, that they might go, I want what they have because we have a picture of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you're in this with me, would you do me a favor? We're going to stand and worship. Here's, I'm going to give a challenge to you and I'm going to ask that you would make this covenant with me. This is a covenant we're going to make together. And if you don't mean it, don't say it, okay? If you don't mean it, don't say it. But if you're in this with me, if you want to be this kind of church, I want Zion to be a place that every person of color in Clear Lake and our surrounding communities, every person of ethnicity, of sexuality, every person feels like they could belong. Jesus we don't, we don't clean the fish. Jesus does. It's not my job to fix people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to preach the love of Jesus and the gospel. My job is to show them that they could have freedom in Christ. And here's what I'm going to ask of you. Dr. Gray, I'm sorry. I was going to quote a whole bunch of your book, but I ran out. We'll do it next week. We want to belong, believe, and become. We want Zion to be the kind of church where you don't have to believe to belong. You don't have to have your stuff figured out. We want to be the kind of church where everybody can encounter the love of Jesus. So here it is. Ready? It means we are committing to be the kind of church who want to reclaim a vision of heaven. If you're in with this, say, I do. We want to be the kind of church where it's not just about coming to church, sitting and singing and listening to music. It means investing our time, our talents, and our treasures to bring to God something bigger. If you're in it with me, say, I do. It means we're not just going to go to church. It means we're going to be the church. If you're in it, say, I do. See, the point is we belong to Jesus. He doesn't belong to us. We clothe ourselves in his identity. He reshapes us. God does something new. Amen? Let's come and end with this last song. Amen.